Thanks for listening to Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Business ownership is something that appeals to many transitioning service members and veterans because of the strong leadership skills you've gained in the military. Franchise ownership allows you to join an established business with proven systems and processes to help you succeed and experience a sense of camaraderie just like you had in the military. According to a study by the International Franchise Association, U.S. veterans own roughly 14% of franchises in the United States. In this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Paul Huzar, CEO of VetCorp and Team VetCorp. As a retired Army officer and licensed professional engineer, Paul struggled to find a meaningful post-military career. He was first introduced to VetCorp during one of his many networking events and now considers himself to be an accidental entrepreneur. In this episode, Paul discusses how his military experience shaped his ability to become a successful business owner, debunks some of the common franchise myths, and discusses the many benefits of franchise ownership. If you have any questions about this episode or ideas for a future topic, I'd love to hear from you. Please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Hey, Paul, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about you, Megan? I'm good. I'm excited to talk to you because I only know the little amount about your background that I've seen online and in your bio. So I'm excited for you to share a little bit more about your background, kind of what you're doing with that core, and then share some lessons learned and things with our listeners. Well, equally, I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you and and to allow me to to help share my story and the story of my team. Yeah, awesome. So why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself for us? You can tell me a little bit about your education, military background, anything that you want to share. Sure. So my name is Paul Hussar. I am a retired Army officer, and I'm the president and CEO of VetCorps and Team VetCorps. So I, I, we were just sharing that uh, kind of both Buckeyes uh, from born and raised in Akron, Ohio. Um, my dad was a general contractor. He owned his own general contracting firm. And I thought I was going to move into that field in construction. And I was a good student, good athlete in, in school. And I'm pretty sure I got profiled when I was a sophomore in high school at a college, um, college fair. I was pounding around with my buddies. And this army officer who was representing West Point says, hey, uh, you ever think about West Point? I said, no, I'm going to be a civil engineer because um, I thought I was good at math. I liked engineering, thought I would you know, study civil engineering and then kind of come, come back and run my dad's construction company. And the guy goes, uh, did you know that West Point was the nation's first civil engineering school? I knew nothing about West Point. <laughs> my dad served in, as a CB in World War II for a brief stint. I had an uncle that was in the Air Force, but other than that, I, I really didn't know much about the military. I said, what? And I turned around, I went back. And uh, sucker, he had me at that point. I'm sure he per- pretty sure he profiled me because I was kind of the ringleader of, of the group of guys. And that's what West Point looks for is, you know. Yeah. And so he gave me this brochure and said, you know, X percentage of the incoming class are you know, valedictorians and, and varsity letter winners and captains of their sports teams and all this stuff. And I was like, wow, um, he did profile me because that's me. And so I was excited about the challenge and I sent the postcard in and then I started getting bombarded with all the propaganda. I was patriotic. Uh, my family was patriotic, but, you know, nothing really about the military. So said, you know, gosh, if, if I went to West Point and for five years and served in the military and then came back and ran my construction, my dad's construction company, nobody's going to say that, you know, that was handed to me. I had an older brother who was in, in the business with my dad and 
he started to go to college and then just went into business. And so I was like, yeah, I saw what was going on with there. And, you know, I think maybe I, I should go pay my dues someplace and do that. So that was my thought. And uh, then I got a lot of good advice along the way. And uh, folks said, stay in the army till you stop having fun. And that I didn't even really follow that advice because 23 years later, uh, I retired from the military. And that was more about just, you know, overall um, life, quality of life for my family. Um, so my, I had a, a son who was starting his, fr- started his freshman year at Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, also known as Lost in the Woods. And daughter was in, uh, in seventh grade. And uh, now there's more to do in Tampa, Florida, where I live, you know, in, in, uh, in a 20 minute radius. And there wasn't a two hour radius from Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. Uh, but along the way, um, you know, four combat tours in Iraq. My first one as a second lieutenant, I met my first unit in, uh, in Desert Storm. And then I later had the privilege to command that same battalion and take it back to Iraq with a thousand soldier and airmen joint task force in 2009 and 10. That was my last tour. I was also the operations officer for the engineer brigade responsible for all construction combat engineer operations in Iraq in 2007, 2008. And then I culminated my last job was I was the Dean of the army's engineer school, which was a really cool assignment. Um, but in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri. So. So that's a really impressive military career. It's not bad for someone who really had no idea that they even <laughs> wanted to be in the military to begin right. with. Yeah. So what was it that made you end up staying in for so long when you kind of initially joined with the um, kind of with the thought that you would stay for a few years and then go back and help your dad with the construction business? Yeah. You know, I did well enough at West Point. Uh, you get to pick your branch, which is kind of the job that you do in the Army and your duty assignment based on your class rank. And so I did well enough um, that I could pick, I could be an engineer and I picked Fort Bragg, uh, the home of the Army's Airborne Special Operations Forces. So I was an airborne engineer. There were three airborne engineer battalions in the United States Army. I got assigned to one of them and later commanded one of them. Best job in, in the Army, in my opinion. So I was jumping out of airplanes. I spent 11 years as a paratrooper, which is pretty cool, pretty fun. <laughs> and, um, you know, along the way, um, the Army paid for me to get my master's degree. Um, so I got my master's in civil engineering from University of Washington after I was stationed in Fort Lewis, Washington, great part of the country. It was interesting. And then I went and did a utilization tour with Army Corps of Engineers. I managed a $243 million civil works project at the heart of uh, San Jose, at the height of the dot-com boom with four endangered species. That was interesting. Um, But unlike most Corps of Engineers officers, um, because the the Army Corps of Engineers is a very large 36,000 person, primarily civilian organization run by Army officers, I came back to the troop side because that's where I, I loved it and uh, had fun. And so I got to command that same battalion that I was a second lieutenant in. That's, it's very rare. It was a dream come true. And, um, and I just loved it. And, and, you know, once a month, whether I liked it or not, I was jumping out of an airplane as a Lieutenant Colonel old dude and people were following me. And um, there's something to say about that, about kind of learning leadership by example when you're the number one jumper at 800 feet above ground level, mm-hmm. 130 knots at 10 minutes after midnight, and everybody else is following you outside of an airplane. 
<laughs> that sounds pretty incredible. So was your dad periodically calling you like, hey, Paul, when are you going to come back and help out with the business? Yeah, you know, I think after probably the first five or so years, he figured it out that I was um, I was hooked on this army stuff. Yeah. The first time I you know I go there to my first unit, and I meet my unit in Desert Storm, so I'm deployed in combat. Then I come back and I get to go to all these schools. I I became a jump master. I was a pathfinder. I went to sapper leader course in my all of my first assignment. I became a master rated parachutist in my first assignment. It was just really fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So when you did fast forward to when you decided to get out, um, what was it that changed? Was there anything that changed in your thought process that took you from where you thought you would be to then what you ended up doing? Like what yeah. made you interested in becoming a business owner? Yeah, I wasn't. I'm a total accidental entrepreneur. Um, so my last job in the army is the Dean of the Army's engineer school. Uh, the, one of the, the actually the primary challenge I had, um, the Army's chief engineer, a three-star general, came to me. He had just been the, um, the chief personnel officer of the Army. And that, in that job, he realized, and remember this was back in 2013, uh, in that job, he realized that every, every month he was getting a bill to pay for the Army's share of unemployment as the military downsized. And because they're the veteran unemployment was skyrocketing. Mm -hmm. The army was getting smaller. So more and more people were getting forced out. And just like any other previous employer, DOD has to pay their fair share of unemployment. And he's like, you know, this is a strategic issue. Uh, if you remember what life was like, we were in a sequestered budget. So more and more of our operational dollars were going to pay for something that had nothing to do with operational readiness. And he said, look, I'm the chief of engineers now. You're the dean of the army engineer school where we train all the engineers. And uh, we, we train plumbers, carpenters, electricians, firefighters, divers, heavy equipment operators, bridge crew members, pipe layers, well drillers, surveyors, all have marketable civilian skill sets. We shouldn't have this problem. I said, yes, sir. Um, well, I'll get right on that. And what I realized is when we trained them all at one centralized location and sent them out across the, the United States, because we trained the Army's National Guard in 50 states as well, that um, those soldiers, sailors and airmen, um, left without a credential because the credentialing authority for plumbers, carpenters, electricians, skilled trades resides at the state level. So now fast forward, the same thing applied with me when I get out. I'm a licensed professional engineer in Missouri and uh, I moved to Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I'm running into the same challenges and people don't know me. They don't understand who is this guy. He doesn't look like he should be retired. Looks still rather young, but you know, he had all this responsibility in the military. What's all that about? He was the dean of the Army's engineer school, but now he's looking to be a project manager or something like that. So I personally experienced all these challenges. And I said, man, what's going on with these youngsters that have had so much responsibility? And what are they, if I'm having problems as a West Point grad, licensed professional engineer, et cetera, et cetera, what are these guys doing? And I, I frankly, I started getting depressed. And I, and I picked Florida for quality of life. It was near family. It was, I wanted, we picked a quality high school for my kids to go to, all that stuff. I said, yeah, I'll find a job, no problem. And then I had a problem. And through this crazy series of networking events, I get connected with the guy who founded VetCorp. Uh, I'm the owner now. He's a, he's a, a minority business partner. Um, but because he had been an army officer for five years, he was the first guy kind of who knew what my resume meant. Mm -hmm. 
And that's so it was awesome. Accident. accident. Yeah. Complete accident. Okay, that's very cool. So um, what, I'm, I have a lot of questions for you, but we'll get into them. But first, can you just give an overview of that course? So what is it? What are some of the services that yeah. you provide? I know you're in Florida, but what are some of the other locations? Yeah. So VetCore is in, in its essence is a restoration company, a for-profit restoration company. So we've helped solve um, uh, water uh, restoration challenges, mold remediation challenges, you know, kitchen fires. And when people think about that, they think of kind of hurricanes and things like that. And that is something that we do. But the majority of our work day to day is dishwashers, ice makers, hot water heaters, air conditioning units, roof leaks, kitchen fires, et cetera. And when the things like that happen, they typically call their insurance company. And we are now a preferred vendor for over 60 insurance carriers in Florida. About 10 of those are national carriers and eight TPAs, third-party administrators. And it's VetCore because our policy is we hire veterans and those who share similar values. And so our vision um, through our franchise system now is to become the premier private employer of veterans throughout the United States and also the brand known for timely, quality, reliable service and the value of veterans. Um, and so I was telling you about those challenges that I had when I was on active duty. And, you know, when I met David Howard, he was running a forensics engineering company, which is how he got my resume. And, um, but he had other ideas. He, they had just created this company called VetCore mm -hmm. and kind of concept only. And, and he started talking to me about leadership and, and said, Hey, I, I understand you got your engineering background. That's how I met you, but I really am looking for someone to become the president of VetCore. So now you think back to what my previous assignment was, my last assignment on active duty, and I trying to solve veteran unemployment, and I, I figured out it was an unsolvable problem. Well, now I'm in this industry where it's science, but it's not rocket science. And there's a credential, but it's a training credential, not a licensing credential. And that credential is good throughout the United States. I said, wow. I can get, if we do this right, um, we can solve this problem in another, in another method. We can create jobs and, and really employment opportunities because now they can grow technically, you know, with the other skill sets, or they can grow through leadership and management in this opportunity, or they could even now, once we start franchising, become a franchise owner one day. And so this started in 2013, right after I retired, we gradually grew the business. We expanded it, opened two more offices in Florida, you know, responded to hurricanes and did really well because it's like commanding, controlling small unit level operations in a combat zone is very much like a uh, disaster zone. And we did really well for our clients and for our customers. And so we had the opportunity to expand and I went to start studying franchising uh, really two years before we launched. So 2017, I went to the International Franchise Association Conference, enrolled in the Certified Franchise Executive Program, started learning. And then we really have been franchising just, uh, just over two years, uh, about six months before COVID started, <laughs> which was a little challenge. Uh, but now we're at the point we have 11 units and 27 territories awarded. Um, most of those units, those offices have multiple territories. We have two in Texas, one in New York, one in Georgia, um, and one in Virginia, and then six in Florida, in addition to the office that, uh, that, that we run and own in Tampa. So awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it sounds like part of your mission for wanting to join this venture 
and kind of put your name on it, see where the career path took you was to help with veteran unemployment. Um, did that align then with the mission of the person who had owned it previously? And then has that mission and goal, has that evolved over time or have you kind of added on to that in any way? Yeah, so it is the mission. And so my my business partner, David Howard, he's an insurance executive. And, and so he has been fundamental in that mission. He's the founder. Um, he was he had a business partner. Um, so about eight months into this, after I've been named the president, I had the opportunity to buy the, the business. And basically, David uh, served as kind of a buyer and a seller. He was he's the guy that hired me. So he was happy to let me take charge. His business partner wasn't a vet, wasn't really interested in, in, in that. So I bought that from from their holding company. And, and David became a minority owner and I became the CEO and kind of started steering ship. And from that point, we, we expanded two more offices. But David still is to this day a strategic advisor. He, he knows a ton about insurance and the insurance industry. So that was all helpful. So he and I are very much in alignment. It's a very good marriage. We're very close, very good friends and um, very complimentary of, of one another. And so the mission has always been the mission, create sustainable, meaningful employment opportunities for our nation's heroes while we create great value for our clients and, and provide exceptional service for our customers. Mm-hmm. What's changed now is adding business ownership opportunities for veterans and their immediate family members um, to our mission as we started franchising about two years ago. Because what we realized is, you know, with the first mission and, and you know, opening up two additional offices, we can only grow and expand so fast. Uh, you know, I'm a retired army officer. I'm not, not independently wealthy. And so you can only through debt financing, you know, grow so fast. But the franchise model allows other people to have a skin in the game, exercise their leadership and actually grow wealth, grow and build wealth in their lives as independent business owners with the model that we've created and ha- having the benefit of the lessons learned and the scars. <laughs> That's really what you pay for when, when you... Uh, you get to avoid all the scars and, and the bad lessons learned and you get, you know, the intellectual property, the operations manual, all of that stuff kind of tied in a bow and, and, and able to operate that in your specific geography where you open a franchise. So that's created opportunities for business owners and, and more senior people in the military who in turn, I believe are only going to hire more vets. And so yeah. now our mission really expands infinitely as we grow. So do you guys exclusively offer franchise opportunities to veterans and families, or are there anyone who's part of the franchise ownership family that you guys have that is not military background? Yeah. So our policy for hiring and for awarding franchises is we hire and award franchises to veterans and those who share similar values. So, you know, veterans make up about 7% of the overall population. So it would be a flawed business strategy to only go after 7%. But what we've recognized is by creating this brand known for timely, quality, reliable service and, 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 and things like, um, Megan, think about it. When's the last time you had a service call of any kind where a service provider said they were coming to your house? When did they tell you they were going to be there? Oh, it's always a very large window of time. <laughs> okay. So we make a distinction. We, we say you ought not to hire and select vet corps because we're veteran owned and primarily veteran owned and operated. But because we're primarily veteran owned and veteran operated, veterans show up early because early is on time and on time is late. 
and we're used to commanding and controlling small unit level operations. So I don't know any former veteran leader that can't get a group of guys and a group of gals to be at the right place at the right time with the right kit to accomplish the mission. So that is, it seems to me to be a command and control and scheduling issue and an operational management issue when companies can't, can't give a time, they give time windows. So because of that, right, that's why customers and clients should select us. And, and as a result of getting there and completing the mission, et cetera, we're also able to keep the claims dollars low, which then makes the, our clients, insurance carriers happy. And it also makes for good public policy because then the, the, the rates for homeowners premiums to remain low because their loss rates are low. So it's win, win, win. The customer's happy, the client's happy, we're happy because we get a good reputation, we get more business from that, mm-hmm. right? So as a result of that, um, you know, that's the, it goes back to our policy, veterans and those who share similar values. And so we actually just awarded our first franchise to a non-veteran. Um, Alex Van is a former insurance agent. And so he understands the value of this brand in this industry. Because in, as an insurance agent, he, you know, he had customers who had these challenges very frequently. And mm-hmm. so he also understands the industry and he's a veteran advocate. Um, so we're excited about that. We, th- we think it's, it's a great brand in a very um, pandemic-proof, recession-proof industry and home services. It has a ton of potential. So you don't have to be a veteran, but you have to want to represent veterans' values showing up fit, polite, on time, treating people with dignity and respect, preserving their resources, respecting their time, et cetera. And, and we believe that that's a very good business proposition. And, and particularly when you compare it to the other brands in the restoration industry, very, very fine brands. It's a huge industry. Um, but, but who would you rather call mm-hmm. in your time of need? Yeah, I like that you mentioned um, the fact that it is like recession proof, because I know you said that you started franchising right before COVID, I think you said. So I don't know, it's hard to say, you know, do you think that that had an impact on you guys? I mean, because this is a, I mean, this is truly a service that is, people are using regardless of what's going on in the world. Right. Um, We, you know, everybody was impacted by COVID. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are an essential service. Insurance companies typically pay us directly. So there wasn't a lack of you know, kitchen fires, dishwashers, ice makers, hot water heaters. Perhaps that people were home more, so they were taking care of it more themselves or noticing mm-hmm. it quickly. But we really didn't see a dip in our business. We also started doing deep cleaning and disinfecting for COVID um, because it was very much related to mold remediation that we were already doing. We already had all the equipment, all the safety, PPE all the, the ability to clean the air, which is actually how it's transmitted because we, we have equipment that removes mold spores from the air and it works at, you know, equally effectively against um, you know, granules of, of air and uh, granules of particles and things that are carrying COVID. Um, so we were actually able to add on that. Where it really affected us was in franchising because we couldn't get to the franchise conferences to meet people in person. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do franchise development when you're asking people to kind of put their life's fortune, uh, I'll say at risk. I mean, they're, they're investing, right? They're investing in themselves to, to open a small business. It's hard to do that, you know, online and find those leads and lead generation and then make those you know, really meaningful connections. Um, we're getting better at it. 
obviously you and I are having yeah. a very discussion via Zoom, um, but I'm not investing, right? And so that's right. that that's where it really took a dip. And now we're starting to get better at it learning. Um, but now we think, you know, is hopefully we'll see what happens with COVID. Um, but we're starting to be able to get back to more in-person things that uh, that our franchise development efforts will increase as well. Plus our mm-hmm. brand is getting more knowledge and we've got more franchisees that kind of validate what we're doing. Well, to your point about the fact that there is an investment and it always is helpful to like start building those relationships in person, but like just basically having a good foundation for those relationships that are based on trust. People know that this is a worthy investment. Um, Are there any misconceptions that you feel like you hear a lot about when you approach people about a franchise or even just those that you hear, um, maybe even ones that you had before you started in this business, anything that you hear about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, when people, when you think about franchising, you think about McDonald's and, and fast food and stuff, but um, so th- there are some very fine franchises in the service world. In fact, I, what I would say is, uh, you know, we confuse these terms, entrepreneur, business owner, franchisee, and they're all different. I'm really looking for franchisees who aren't entrepreneurs, but they're entrepreneurial minded. So they understand kind of what the left and right limits are to operate within a franchise system because you you don't own the brand. The franchisor owns the brand. And so you can't make independent decisions without at least running things by the franchisor. So that's important to understand. But again, that falls into, I think, the wheelhouse of many veterans who, and this is a misconception by the 93% of people who aren't veterans, they think, oh, we follow orders well. And, And we do. But what we really understand is commander's intent, right? Um, we understand what the purpose of, uh, of the commander is and how to achieve that purpose, what the desired end state should look like, but we have room to maneuver and use our initiative and ingenuity. And that's what's made the U.S. military so great. And so franchisees have, understand left and right limits. They take tactical SOPs, business plans, et cetera, and they make them better, um, working within the intent and also sharing lessons learned with the franchisees to the left and to the right of them because they're very much team oriented and they're very much used to doing AARs after action reviews, mm-hmm. figuring out what happened, why it happened and how we can improve. And so it's, it's a great industry. I didn't nearly understand it as well as, as I do now. And so there was a lot of misconceptions when, you know, when I came on board and when I started looking at it. So what I really tell people is if you're interested we have a whole series of um, webinars that we do, Franchising 101. Um, it, it's worthy of at least looking into because you, you're able to avoid a lot of the mistakes and kind of ramp up sooner with a, with a smaller investment, in my opinion, than if you're doing it, um, trying to build a business yourself. And also, it, it gives you a far better quality of life and opportunity to build wealth and, and working for someone else. Yeah. So to that point, you mentioned it allows you to ramp up quicker, less investment than just going out and building your own business from the ground up. Are there any other um, benefits that you use as kind of not a selling point? Because I don't want to mean that I don't want to say it as though you are selling this to people like I know you're genuinely trying to, you know, tell people about the opportunity. So is there anything else that when someone comes to you and says, hey, this sounds interesting, but why would I do this instead of 
just starting my own business? Are, are there any like kind of key takeaways that you like to say for them? Yeah, really two aspects. On the startup side, what I've said is the two hardest things about um, starting a business is getting the business marketing and financing the business, growth, planning for cash flow, et cetera. And a franchise model helps in both cases. So with a franchise model, you have a brand. In our case, we already have existing clients, third-party administrators. We're able to get our, our, our franchisees credentialed with these third-party administrators. So they're able to receive claims from insurance carriers that they wouldn't otherwise be able to get. And it would take a lot of marketing dollars. And in most cases, the third-party administrators won't allow restoration companies to join their, their network until they have three years in business. Well, most businesses fail within the first three years. So that marketing, that determining the market and getting revenue opportunities in the door is substantially improved with a franchise. And, and particularly, I think, with ours. In the the cash flow financing the business, one, they have help, they have a franchisor there, they have franchisees to the left and the right. So we help with that, but also we're a preferred vendor, uh, preferred franchisor with the SBA. So they're able to get SBA loan and, and funding and other methods that they, it would be far more difficult to do if they weren't a franchise, they try to do it on their own. Mm-hmm. So those are two things on the front end. On the back end, you know, when you go to sell a business, it's all about the recurring revenue potential based on how much you can maximize the sale of your business. If you're running, you know, Joe's restoration company and Joe sells the company, it's no longer Joe, right? And so with that, you know, th- with that, it, that owner goes kind of some of the relationships. If you're, uh, if you own VetCore of you name it, Akron, Ohio, um, right? VetCore name and VetCore brand still stays and you're still credentialed with the same insurance carriers and, cl- and third-party administrators and everything. So you still have that, that potential for recurring revenue. So the ability to sell when you have a brand as opposed to a private business, um, one will t- typically get you a greater amount for the sale um, because you have greater recurring revenue. And yeah. so I think both those two things I did not understand you know, because I'm a knuckle dragon former army officer. Now I have a greater, much greater appreciation for those. Oh, yeah. and then, and then if I can, one thing I'll show you. See if you can see that. Yeah, I can. Can you see that? Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm looking for. Uh, the inner people who who are in the sweet spot in this Venn diagram says, "What's the intersection of what you love doing, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at." We already know the world needs restoration. It's not going away. We already know you can be paid for it and paid reliably for it because the insurance carriers do typically pay you directly. We know you can get good at it because we've got these great training programs. And so it's really a question of what do you love doing? And you don't have to love restoration, but you have to love serving others. And you have to love being a part of something bigger than yourself and helping fellow veterans and building this brand known for timely, quality, reliable service in the value of veterans. Yeah, I love it. I think this is awesome information you're sharing. So, you know, just kind of to look back on your journey as a whole, are, is there anything that has surprised you or some of the lessons you've learned? It sounds like you've learned a lot. So what stood out to you the most? Well, I already talked about it. You know, the two hardest things about business, um, 
and, and what I realized, and particularly with this model, right, is veterans are good at a lot of things. Leading, managing, training, equipping, you know, we're really good at that. We suck at a lot of things. We, we know nothing typically about insurance, about marketing, business development, finance, right? And those are key to uh, running and being successful with a business. And so if we're honest, though, we're, we generally are pretty good at self-assessing. The U.S. military has become the greatest in the world because we continually AAR. What happened? Why it happened? How we can improve? And so we've applied. I've applied that to myself. And so we've continued to kind of change our model with franchising to complement the strengths of veterans and kind of identify perhaps where the blind spots are, the weaknesses are, the areas they can improve. And we've continued to try and invest in those areas. The reason I think we can do that better than any other brand for veterans is because we're all veterans. And when we're not afraid to see ourselves and admit to ourselves and continue to AAR and continue to improve, there's no ego involved in this. I mean, we have, um, you know, when I'm talking to my franchisees, they're not subordinate units, right? And even if they were, when I, when I commanded a battalion, I used to tell my staff, you don't have the right, you don't have the authority to say no to a subordinate unit. And I tell that, I say very much the same thing for our franchise staff, except that they're teammates. They're, when I talk about franchisees, they're franchisee teammates. And I very much see them, particularly the initial ones, as kind of the corporate governance structure to help shape the future. Um, and, and so I think we're, when we see those lessons learned, we're rapidly adapting because that's the culture of the military. And that's what's made our military the strongest. And I believe that's what's made our brand as an emerging franchise are exceptionally strong and, and a great value proposition. Yeah, definitely. So what, is, what would you say has been your biggest accomplishment thus far? Ooh, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm proud of growing the franchise system. Uh, we're, I think we're going to award two more. It looks like one in Kentucky and one in Ohio before the year's end. So, you know, within our really our first two years growing to, well, it'll be, I think, 13 units. Um, that's not bad for an emerging franchisor. And then kind of the downstream effects of that is the veterans that we've hired and created opportunities for. That's clearly what I'm most proud of. And I've got a great, great team. I tell people my, my chief operating officer is a retired sergeant major in E9. There are no E10s in the military. No one was hired. There's no one better at creating training plans for individuals and units and organizations. And he's the one that's behind our training plan. He's got incredible standards. I've got great teammates. Um, we've achieved some notoriety and some awards, which I'm proud of. But in the end, it just is a recognition of those of what we've done for fellow veterans. Mm -hmm. So I know you mentioned that you guys have some webinars available. Are they on your website um, that people could go and, and watch if they have any questions? And then beyond that, are there any other resources you would recommend for someone who wants to learn more about franchising in general? Sure. Um, you know, one, I'm happy to connect with them personally. So, you know, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram I share a ton on both of those on really on LinkedIn and Facebook, primarily when we do those webinars, our website, vetcore, V-E-T-C-O-R services.com. There are links to our YouTube channel where all the, the webinars are, are hosted on there, the, are recorded and hosted. When we do new ones, we post them on our social media. 
we've got a pretty active blog on our website um, talking about you know what's going on, what's new. So our, our website, and, and that's our company website, but there's also a tab for our franchising if anyone's interested. Um, and our standing offer is, you know, veterans or military families, if they're they're going through transition or interested in business ownership or franchising or anything like that, it's consistent with our mission to help them, whether they're interested in a vet core franchise or not. Because mm-hmm. we just say generically, you know, we're trying to create opportunities, uh, employment and now business ownership opportunities for veterans. And if, if we can help somebody get into another opportunity, um, we're fine with that because we believe if we're if you're pure in our intent, that we're going to find enough people who are interested and see value in a vet core franchise. And so we don't worry about that. We, we tell stories, we stay consistent to our mission. And we believe that when we do that, that we're going to grow our brand. You mentioned all your social media channels. You didn't mention TikTok. You strike me as a TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a TikTok account. Yes. Maybe your kids. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get counseled by them. They're adults now, but I think they're probably- <laughs> That's funny. So what's next for you guys in 2022? It sounds like you're just going to continue to grow. Are there any markets that you're focused on or are you just waiting to see what the interest looks like? Yeah, we really, we want to, we want to try and round out Florida first to the extent that we can, because it's a unique insurance market. Um, 10, over 10% of gross written premium of homeowners insurance is in Florida. Um, so that's pretty significant. And, and we recognize that's the, where we have the greatest market advantage with our insurance carriers. Um, we also want to complement the states that we're in because we build, believe we can build presence there. We continue to enhance our disaster response capacity um, now with our franchise network and our, and our partners, uh, other subcontractor partners. So we continue to improve that. We continue to focus and we're, we're changing organizationally and process wise to even um, put a sharper focus on supporting our franchises and, and their, our franchisee teammate success. So we're moving to a franchise business consultant model as opposed to a regional field manager, technical oriented model. Um, so I think that's going to be exciting and very helpful for our franchisees. And then, it, you know, we're exploring opportunities to find partners, perhaps investment partners or um, other brand partners or home service partners um, who appreciate our mission as much as we do and, and see the potential in our brand and perhaps make us uh, allow us to grow bigger, faster, stronger, better. Um, so so we'll, we'll see. It's interesting. It'll be a be exciting year ahead. Awesome. Well, I look forward to seeing where everything goes. And again, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great speaking with you today. Thank you so much for allowing us to tell our story and hosting us. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Orion's From the Battlefield to the Boardroom podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud so that you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have any feedback, please send me an email at podcast at oriontalent.com. Our goal is to help all military job seekers through their transition and beyond. So make sure you share our show with your friends. See you next time.